This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are uh, in the book of Psalms as we've been uh, slowly, but but surely getting toward the end of the book of Psalms. We're going to move through uh, a chapter today. We'd like not to move through it fairly quickly, but if you were reading through the book of Psalms, you would read it real quick. It is the shortest chapter in the uh, Bible. It's chapter uh, 117 of the book of Psalms. It is a neat, neat chapter. I don't know if I've explain this to you, but the section of the book of Psalms that we're in right now is called the Hillel, and what that is, chapters 113 to 118 are songs about the Egyptian captivity and about Passover. They're actually Passover songs, if you want to know the truth, which includes the the blood sacrifice and all that goes along with it. What's interesting about that, what makes that interesting is that every Passover, when they celebrated Passover together, these were the songs that they sang. We talk about traditions and things like that. This is one of those traditions. It's one of the songs that was sung during Passover, actually during the, the fellowship meal. And uh, eating is a, well, eating in the Bible is symbolic of fellowship or intimacy or relationship with each other. In fact, in the New Testament, the uh, it, it, Bible teaches us if you're with a brother who's just totally rejected the faith and walked away from it and is involved in all kinds of sin, we're talking about a belief, former believer, it says don't eat with them. And the reason it says that is because you are fellowshipping with them and you're saying it's okay that they're living the lifestyle that they're living. That doesn't mean not eat with them if they're wanting, but it, do, it does mean that you don't uh, pacify them in their, their their open and obvious sin to the world. And the fellowship is very important in Scripture. In fact, well, really, that's the whole reason God made us is to glorify himself and so that he could have fellowship with us and relationship. And this section of Psalms is about that. Now you say, why is that important? Why is that really important? Because this chapter in the book of Psalms gives us and gives Israel in all actuality an insight into God's plan, his uh, divine plan for the future. And they would have sang it every Passover. It would have been like Silent Night at Christmas. You can't have a Christmas Eve service. And not saying silent night, you you just, you can't do that. With the candles burning, can we do that? I can't imagine doing that. Can you? I, I can't. It, it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things that you do. It's one of, one of the things you do during that holiday. Um, I can't imagine thir- Thanksgiving without turkey or ham and or ham. Really, it's turkey and or ham. I can't imagine that. Can you? I can't. It's, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Thanksgiving without turkey and or ham. I will say to you that Passover for the Jews, which was their most important holiday, would not have been that holiday unless they had sung 
the Psalms 113 through 118. And uh, what does that mean? That means it has a it has an effect. I, I, I did not realize how emotive an effect worship and singing was and experiencing worship and singing was until after my daughters were older, not when they were younger, but when they were older. And the, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's older, he won't depart from it. I did not realize how much, how important the whole experience of going to church with my, my daughters was to them until they became adults like they are today. I didn't realize that. It was of great importance to them. And the daughter of mine, my youngest daughter, uh, Becca, she she has always been one to go out and do new experiences. She's very much like me. She likes to do new things and see new things. But the traditional things, the things that we've always done, if we don't do those things on certain holidays and at certain times of the year, if we don't do those things, she is. A, and one of the things that's so important to her is, is the things that we do during the holidays and during Christmas. And she has an attachment to worship and to what we do on Sunday morning. And it touches her emotions. It touches the emotive part of who she is. That's a powerful thing to have happen. It has a powerful thing to have happen. And for the Jews to be singing these songs every Passover, celebrating God's deliverance from the bondage of the world, the bondage of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, into his very best, singing these songs would have been like singing Silent Night and, and Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. And, and it would have been, for them, an emotive overload, especially on the evening of Passover when they would eat the unleavened bread and, and would prepare the lamb for the doorpost and, and prepare for the angel of death to pass over and that they would leave in haste the next day. And that whole story being told and that whole idea going on, and then them singing these songs would just bring about an important uh, emotive experience in it. And for the children, it would have it would have it would have imprinted on their heart and their and their soul about who they are and who God made them to be in his deliverance. And so when you kind of when you think about that and and, and consider that, as we get older, it's, it doesn't seem as important. But when we're younger, those imprinting experiences, that's why I said Sunday morning that I want the young, the children to be in the worship service during the singing time, even if we have babies crying. Even the hearing of babies crying during work is an imprinting experience. What it means is the family of God has come together and worship. And for a three, four, eight, nine, 10, 12, 15 year old, it has a, a eternal effect for them. They hunger when they get older, even if they're not in church and they're not chasing after God, they hunger for those for that time because it was a time of assurance. It was a time of peace. It was a time of, of purpose. And, and so we come to this, this psalm, which is only two verses. It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. And you realize that God was teaching the Jews year after year, decade after decade, century after century. He was teaching them his eternal plan. Let me read it to you. It says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Gentiles. What, what he's saying is, what, what God's saying to the Jews back in, in Jesus' time was, is there is a plan 
not only for you, you are my chosen people. I've entered, I've put, placed you in the promise. There's an eternal plan for you. And though you are under the subjugation of Rome right now, there's an eternal plan for you. But not only is there an eternal plan for you, you are going to fulfill your purpose as a light to the Gentiles. You're going to fulfill that purpose. Uh, the promises that I made to you in the past are yes and amen still. And you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And, and so every Passover at their most important religious experience of the year, it, would either, it, it either is that or the Day of Atonement, one or the other, probably the Day of Atonement, but Passover also, they would have remembered and considered that God had made them to be a light to the Gentiles. And this song that they sung every Passover says, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. That word praise the Lord is alleluia. Have y'all ever heard that before? I, 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 I love to tell people, alleluia is the verbal expression or word in the Old Testament for worship. You have the word that stands for prostrating yourself. You've got hot, yada yada, or which means to uh, lift your hands in the air. And then you've got that verbal hallelujah, brother. That's not it. That's not it. It's a, it's a, it, it is praise the Lord. And notice, he says, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you Gentile. God's plan was to redeem uh, a remnant out of all peoples and nations. And, and we see that in the Revelation. We'll be talking about that tonight in the Revelation. He has a plan to redeem all people from all, a remnant of all people from all nations. Okay? He has a plan for that. <laughs> not a plan to, and not everyone's going to receive him, but he has a plan to redeem all people from all, all a remnant of all the people of the world, every nation. And as we uh, come to this, he says, praise the Lord, you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. Laud means, it means to extol, it means to, it means to, it means to speak all the things that are good about somebody. It, it means to brag on them, if you really want to know the best way to describe it. He says, brag on him, all you peoples, not just the Jews. But everyone should brag on him. And see, if you're a young boy or girl hearing that song, you'd realize we have a purpose that's just being, that's not just for here in, in our area and here in our people and here among our families. We got a purpose throughout the world. And having that purpose and understanding what that purpose is makes a nation great. And understanding uh, what our reason is for existence gives us meaning and purpose and power in our lives. And, and, and so they heard, they heard that. And they said, it would hear that God says, hallelujah, we should, all the people should be bragging about who God is. And as you're reading, as you're reading this, you realize that they for generations had this right there in front of them to tell them that God had a plan and that plan started with them, but would end at the ends of the earth with the, with the message of hope and grace to all peoples. He says, for, and when we get to Christmas, we love to read that. To us, a child is born in Isaiah. To us, a son is given. And all the names that go along with him. And he is a light to all nations. Right here, God was telling them, I got a plan. I got a plan coming up. I got a plan coming up. And that plan is going to reach all peoples. And it's going to go out to the Gentiles, even the Gentiles. He said, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. Toward who? The people he's talking about. Everyone. And, and by the way, in the Hebrew, 
This word for merciful kindness is said twice. It's actually for his merciful kindness. Merciful kindness is great toward us. It's almost like an echo in the song. Y'all, y'all know we've got songs where we echo. That's what's in this, in this song here. He says, for his merciful kindness, merciful kindness is great toward us. God is kind and he is tenderhearted toward us. And that kindness and tenderhearted bring about his mercy, which means he does not make us suffer those things that we deserve, but he withdraws those things and gives us his great and, and mighty kindness to hear him and to walk with him and to know him. And man, isn't that power? Isn't, isn't that really powerful that his merciful kindness is great toward everyone? They would sing this every Passover evening, every night that they celebrated the Passover, each year, that that wonderful festival of God's deliverance. They'd sing it every year, that God in his merciful kindness is great toward all people. He says, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Notice there's the merciful kindness of God and the truth. I often say to people all the time that there are two main aspects of God's character that you need to know. First, God is love. He teaches us that. God is love. He is self-sacrificial love toward us. He's agape love toward us. God is love. But also, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he's saying is, I, I have a way, and that way is truth. So God is both love, and he is truth. And those two come together in who his character is. And I always say this, and I think it it goes without saying. He says, if you love somebody, you got to be the truth to them. You can't have love without truth. Love without without truth is just a a self, it's a self-fulfilling, it's a self-selfish emotion for your own purposes and your own desires. It's just a feeling that you want to have to make yourself feel good. That's what love is without truth. On the opposite end of the thing, truth without love is just a set of facts for your own uh, benefit. Just a set of facts for your own benefit because truth is deeper than just facts. Truth changes things. Truth makes life possible. Truth guides us through uh, the difficult times and, and guides us into all things that are good that come from God. And so it's not a set of facts that make you feel good. Truth is a whole thing. It is Jesus himself. It is his revelation to us. And so if you've got truth without any love, what you're doing is just making yourself feel good with a set of facts. you got love without truth, what you've got there is a self-aggrandizement. I'm making myself feel good, and I don't care really how it affects anybody else. And there's got to be there's got to be truth, and there's got to be love. And they've both got to be together for there to ever be anything that is really what we would say from the throne room. And so it's important to understand this, that he says his merciful kindness is to, is toward all of us. And it's great toward all of us. And his, and the truth of the Lord, what does it do? It endures forever. It keeps on going, keeps on moving forward, keeps on doing what it should do. I love uh, what I get to do during the day because I oftentimes get to help people. I get to encourage people. I get to see people in their worst and most difficult situations. And when they, when you see the pain of their heart, most of the time when I see them in the, in, in the court setting or in my office having to deal with the situation, it's, 
It's the biggest struggle of their life or one of the biggest struggles of their life. And I always have, my heart goes out to them and I want them to not have to experience that. And, but just because I want to feel good about their situation does not mean that I don't need to be the truth to them. I don't need to tell them or be very pointed to them exactly about what's going on. And I don't need to hide from things that, that they need to know about themselves, about the situation, about their future. I don't need to hide that from them. I need to tell them. I need to speak it right to them. And so I, I realize that oftentimes, because we care for people and we have concern for people, that we want to uh, cover up the issues and just make them feel better and soothe their emotions. That's not love. That's not love. And sometimes we're so angry with somebody and we're so upset with somebody and we're so hurt with somebody that we want to beat them over the head with the truth. And, and you can't tell me if you're beating somebody over the head with the truth that you're actually loving them. You're not. The truth must be direct. It must be firm. It must have a purpose. And eventually, it must bring about hope and life. And so if I'm beating somebody over the head with it, is it really the truth or is it just a set of facts that are making me feel good? Uh, telling them those facts so that I can feel good about how I feel about the situation. Notice, you got to have both. You got to have truth and love. And really, that kind of wraps up in who we are as God has made us. Our soul is our intellect and our emotion. And they both go together. You can't move, can't remove your intellect and, and just go off total emotion. You can't go off total emotion and, and not keep my intellect. My heart and my mind must operate together. And if they don't operate together, I'm not having my whole self. I'm tearing myself apart. So also, truth and love, they connect. They're together. They're inseparable. And they're the character of God. And his loving kindness is toward all of us. And his truth endures forever. And then he ends the psalm, the very, very short psalm. He ends the psalm with, Alleluia. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that he has a plan not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Praise the Lord that plan is embodied in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that it goes out to all peoples. Praise the Lord that God is loving kindness. Praise the Lord that his truth endures forever. Praise the Lord if I don't even know or feel those things because he deserves it. Praise the Lord. May God bless. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.